0: I'm going to invite uh, Josh Newman up to um, share the word. Yeah, why don't you welcome Josh up as well? Thank you. Well, hello, good morning. My name's Josh, as you heard. Um, if I haven't met you before, it's good to meet you, and it's good to be with you guys this morning. Uh, so, day, today we're continuing in our Mark series, and it's called Why Did Jesus Have to Die? And so this week, we'll talk about why Jesus had to die alone. Uh, Now I want you guys to think, is there anything that you're the best at? Something that only you can do, that others rely on you for? Uh, Maybe at your work, you're the only one who knows how to fix the little issue with the computer, or at home, you're the only one strong enough to open the pickle jar. Well, it's kind of like that. Jesus was the only one strong enough and perfect enough to die for us. He was the only one who could die to take away our sins. No one else could do it, and so he had to do it alone. And so if we remember all the way back to last week, Tyler took us through the first bit of chapter 14. There was the woman who used her Gucci perfume worth of fortune to anoint Jesus, and there was Judas the betrayer doing his betrayer planning and preparing to betray Jesus. But of course, God is in control of all things. And Jesus knew that he would be betrayed. And he knew that it was Judas who would do the betraying. And then Jesus Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper as he prepared for the work that he was about to do. And now that brings us to today's passage. Now, do you know when you're having a really bad day, when you feel like it's one thing after another, where it feels like nothing goes right? Well, God in his providence, he thought that he would... Do that to me today, give me a bit of that experience. And so as I got into the car to come here this morning, I got round the corner and my entire car shut down. The, the dashboard, the light came up, it said engine failure, and it all stopped. And so got out, my parents came, they came to pick me up, and we were halfway to church, and I realised I forgot my iPad, which has my sermon on it. So I had to go back and get that. So I have experienced today having a bad day where it's one thing after another. And I think that's how the disciples must have felt in this chapter. One minute they're chilling out with the Messiah, they're having a big Passover feast and everything's great. And then next minute Jesus is talking about dying and betrayal. And now he's going to go on and tell them how they're going to abandon him. I would assume that they were thinking, well, it can't get any worse than this. But spoiler alert, it can Once Jesus has stopped telling them all this horrible stuff and he's been praying in absolute agony, they are then betrayed and the disciples are all so frightened that they all bail and run away. Someone is even so scared that he runs away naked. That is a bad day. They certainly hit rock bottom. But there is still good news and hope. As the saying goes, when you've hit rock bottom, there's nowhere to go but up. And so although this passage seems bleak and sad and everyone's having a bad day, Jesus ends up all alone. What I want to show you is that there is great purpose in what is happening. God is implementing his plan to redeem his people, to reunite them with himself. And to do this, Jesus had to die. And he had to die alone because no one else could. Only Jesus could die to take away the sin of the world. Only Jesus could die to redeem his people and to reunite them with the God who loves them. So while this passage feels like a bit of a bummer, with the disciples failing and Jesus suffering and being betrayed by one of his own, it's actually a happy passage because God is enacting his grand plan through his son to save his people, and that is us. So let's have joy as we go through this rather summer passage. So let's have a read of it now together, and then I'll pray. So reading from Mark 14, verse 27. I'll be looking at the CSB version. So let's read. Uh, Peter's denial predicted. Then Jesus said to them, all of you will fall away because it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. Peter told him, even if everyone falls away, I will not. Truly I tell you, Jesus said to him, today, this very night, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he kept insisting, Even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And they all said the same thing. The prayer in the garden. Then they came to a place named Gethsemane. And he told the disciples, Sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James and John with him. And he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. He said to them, I am deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and stay awake. He went a little farther, fell to the ground, and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. Then he came and found them sleeping. He said to Peter, Simon, are you sleeping? Couldn't you stay awake one hour? Stay awake and pray so that you won't enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Once again, he went away and prayed, saying the same thing. And again, he came and found them sleeping because they could not keep their eyes open. They did not know what to say to him. And he came a third time and said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. The time has come. See, the son of man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up. Let's go. See, my betrayer is near. Judas's betrayal of Jesus. While he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, suddenly arrived. With him was a mob with swords and clubs from the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders. His betrayer had given them a signal. The one I kiss, he said, he's the one. Arrest him and take him away under God. God. So when he came, immediately he went up to Jesus and said, Rabbi, and kissed him. They took him Hold of him and arrested him. One of those who stood by drew his sword, struck the high priest's servant, and cut off his ear. Jesus said to them, Have you come out with swords and clubs, as if I were a criminal, to capture me? Every day I was among you, teaching in the temple, and you didn't arrest me, but the scriptures must be fulfilled. Then they all deserted him and ran away. Now a certain young man, wearing nothing but a linen cloth, was following him. They caught hold of him. But he left the linen cloth behind and ran away naked. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for Jesus and his willingness to sacrifice everything for us. Because no one else could. Without Christ, we would have nothing, and so we thank you for him. Please help us to see the joy in this passage, that you are always in control and that you had a plan. As we see the difficulties of the disciples as they have a pretty bad day in this passage, Would you help us to learn from them as we try now to live as disciples of Jesus? Would we recognise that we too may struggle with the same difficulties? Would we be encouraged that you use the broken and that Jesus will go before us and redeem us back to you, Father? So please give us ears to hear and hearts to change. Please help me to speak the truth by your Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, So now, as I have said, The main point of today, the answer to the question of why Jesus had to die, was that Jesus had to die alone. And he needed to do this to fulfill the scriptures and because no one else can. Uh, I think it's helpful to think about uh, when we say fulfill the scriptures, uh, to think of it as to fulfill God's plan. Uh, The scriptures, they reveal to us God's redemptive plan. His plan that he had from the start. And that plan is revealed to us throughout the Old Testament. And then, of course, in the new as well. And so the answer to why Jesus had to die alone is revealed in three main points in our passage. Firstly, Jesus had to die alone to fulfill the scriptures. Secondly, Jesus has the strength to suffer alone. And finally, Jesus is in control and he is reliable. And so as we explore these these points, hopefully we'll be able to see and I'll be able to show you how they can lead us um, to have joy in our Lord and to praise him because of the suffering that he took on in our place. So let's jump into the first section. Jesus has to die alone to fulfill the scriptures. Uh, so in the last couple of weeks, we've kind of seen that Jesus knows all that will take place in his passion or his suffering. Uh, if you remember a couple of weeks back, Jesus knew what animal to collect to ride into Jerusalem. Uh, last chapter, he predicted who would betray him And now he predicts that all will fall away from him. As he says in verse 27, All of you will fall away, because it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. Uh, This is a pretty interesting thing to say. If we think um, all the way back to Mark 4, Jesus gave a parable called the parable of the soils. In this parable, the sower plants the seed, and the seed lands on different types of ground, affecting how well the seed takes and grows and sustains. Uh, and there was a couple different types of grounds that the, uh, the seeds landed on and Jesus used. And the final one was the good soil, the good ground. Basically, this is the soil where the seeds would be most effective. And a bit later, Jesus explains the parable and he says that those people who are like the good soil are those who hear the word. They hear the gospel of Jesus and they welcome it and they produce an amazing amount of fruit. So that sounds pretty good. And when we read that story, or when Jesus was telling it to the people, I'm sure you would think, or at least I would think, that the crowds that were listening would have all different types of grounds there, all different types of soil, and people would respond in different ways. Um, And I would definitely think that surely the 12 disciples, they were the good soil. And so when we think of the disciples, we think they heard Jesus, they welcomed his word, they gave up everything to follow him, and they produced great fruit. That's certainly great soil. And they definitely ended up doing that. But in our chapter today, it would seem that Jesus is alluding to the disciples being more like the rocky soil. Jesus says in Mark 4:16 that those who are like rocky ground, they hear the word and they immediately receive it with joy, which is great. Check, that sounds like the disciples. But he continues saying that they have no root. They are short-lived. When distress or persecution comes because of the word, they immediately fall away. In verse 27, Jesus is predicting that the disciples, in the face of persecution, will fall away. They are like the rocky soil, not the good soil that they hope to be, which is a bit of a bummer. But there is hope in verse 28. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. While we will soon see that the disciples live up to Jesus' original prediction and that they will be rocky soil, Jesus says that after his resurrection, he will regroup them and he will lead them again to Galilee. And not only Galilee, Jesus is implying that he will resume his role of shepherding his flock and leading them towards life and us. And of course we know that Jesus comes back and he regathers his disciples by the power of his spirit. His disciples are renewed and they become like those who are of good soil. We see this throughout the book of Acts and the rest of the New Testament, that the great fruit that the disciples produced. We ourselves are the church, and we are a byproduct of the fruit that the disciples established as they established the church throughout the world. And so now we we come to Peter, poor Peter. It seems like he's always the disciple who gets singled out and picked on for doing the wrong thing. You know, Jesus calls him Satan, and Paul challenges him in front of all his friends. He gets the rough end of the stick a lot and he's about to again now so from 29 so peter says well even if all the other chumps fall away i won't and jesus is like well yeah you will three times but peter insists even if i have to die i will not deny you and everyone else said well yeah me too Um, and so what's going on here what is peter's mistake apart from the obvious we know he's going to fail and he's going to run away, and then he's going to deny Christ three times. But it's also that Peter and the other disciples, they still do not understand. They still do not truly understand who Jesus is. Even after all this time and the truly miraculous things that they have seen, when Jesus directly tells them what will happen, they do not believe it. Jesus prophesies, Peter, you will deny me three times. And he's like, "Nah, no better. I won't do that. And so really what we're being shown here is that the disciples cannot stand on their own strength. They need God to accomplish his purpose in Christ. And now we also cannot stand in our own strength. But we need Christ. We need Jesus, who is our strength, our rock, and our refuge. So that's our first point. Jesus has to die alone to fulfill the scriptures. All of his followers and friends will abandon him, and he will be left alone to die alone. And now we see a little bit of a change in the story, in the scene. Uh, Jesus goes to pray in the garden of Gethsemane from verse 32. And this is where our second point comes from. Jesus has the strength to suffer alone. Then they came to a place named Gethsemane, and he told his disciples, Sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. He said to them, I am deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and stay awake. He went a little farther and fell to the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. So Jesus brings three of his disciples to pray, Peter, James, and John. Obviously, Jesus kind of knows at this point that there's not much they can do for him because he leaves them and he prays alone. Now, clearly, Jesus' suffering has already begun mentally. He tells his disciples of his troubles. Jesus knows what is about to happen to him. He knows that he will be betrayed and tortured and die on the cross. And he's stressing out, which is fair enough. He's not exactly in for a fun time. Um, And so what does he do to deal with his suffering? He goes and he prays to his father. From 36, he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. It's worth noting that when Jesus calls God Abba, It's a very personal greeting um, of intimate and close relationship. The idea that God was our Father was not new. Jews would have identified God as their Father as well. But the use of the word Abba is far less formal, and it's much more personal. A lot of people say it would be like calling him Daddy or something similar. So Jesus is showing his closeness with God, the Father, and the personal relationship that they had. And as Jesus prays to God in his time of suffering and difficulty. And you know that this is actually true for you as well. Because of the work that Christ has done on the cross, you too can now have a personal relationship with God. He is your father and you can depend and trust in him fully. And you can know him intimately. Jesus continues in his prayer, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Jesus acknowledges God's infinite power that nothing is impossible for him, and he says, "Can we do something else?" As you know, Jesus is not in for a fun time, and the toll of what he is about to do is tremendous. So he asks his father, who he knows he can trust and depend on. He asks him if there is another way. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. Ultimately, Jesus submits to the will of the Father. Uh, I said this before when we were in Hebrews. Um, but it's worth saying again, and that is that God always hears us when we pray to him. But our first call is to submit to his will, to pray in line with his will, and accept that he is in control in all situations and that he has a plan. We may not see that plan or understand it at the time or ever even in this life, but God has a plan and he is able to work all things for good. So let's keep praying, submitting to God's will, knowing that he hears us and that he cares for us and that all things are under his control. And so Jesus goes on. He's lamenting or grieving in his prayers in a biblical way. And he gives us an example of how we can do the same. Uh, This way of lamenting um, for God happens quite a lot in the Psalms. I'll give you a quick example from Psalm 13, but there's quite a lot. So if you want more examples, I can give them to you later. Uh, So from 13, 1 to 3, he says... How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long will I store up anxious concerns within me, agony in my mind every day? How long will my enemy dominate me? Consider me and answer, Lord my God. Restore brightness to my eyes, otherwise, I will sleep in death. And so, what we can see from this and from Jesus' prayer is that they're not necessarily polite and controlled and neat, but rather they're emotional and they're sharing their heart with God and asking that he change his mind or that he help them in a certain way. It is okay for us to ask God to change his mind or to pray in this way, um, to express our hurt and our pain. It shows a trust in God and shows a trust that he listens to our prayers and he grants our requests. Of course, he will only do what is in his will, and so our priority is to conform to his will, which at the end of the day is far more beneficial for us and anything that we could plan anyway and so now we come to jesus as he interacts again with his disciples uh, the ones that were with him um, from verse 37 then he came and found them sleeping he said to peter simon are you sleeping couldn't you stay awake one hour stay awake and pray so that you won't enter into temptation the spirit is willing but the flesh is weak once again he went away and he prayed Saying the same thing. And again he came and found them sleeping, because they could not keep their eyes open. They did not know what to say to him. Then he came a third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. The time has come. See, the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up. Let's go. See, my betrayer is near. So this really highlights the fact that Jesus is going through this alone. Because he's the only one who is strong enough and he's capable enough to do it. As he says, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. It's not that the disciples were just being lazy and they were just having a snooze. Rather, it is that they were unable to support Jesus at this time. They did not have the strength to do what to do what the Son of Man was going through or what was to come. Um, There is an emphasis on Jesus' interaction with the disciples. We are told three times that he checks on them. We can look at these interactions in a kind of positive and a negative light. Uh, On the one hand, Jesus is fulfilling his role as the good shepherd. He's checking on his disciples. He's caring for them. He's encouraging them to pray and not to enter into temptation. But on the other hand, the disciples are failing. They fail to realize the importance of this moment. And they sleep through the crisis that Jesus is facing. The hour has come for Jesus to fulfill his purpose, and the disciples have been caught sleeping and unaware. The rebukes of Jesus emphasize their failure and foreshadow the great failure that is about to come, where all of them will fall away, and Peter will deny Christ three times. This section shows us two distinct opposites. Jesus is in agonizing prayer and submission to God, despite all of Jesus' warnings and prediction of his own death, the betrayal, the desertion, and Peter's denial, the disciples are caught slacking, and they are led astray. And this is the human condition. We are weak in our flesh. This is exactly why Jesus had to do what he did, because we are weak and sinful. And so this should remind us of Jesus' warning in Mark 13, from 35 to 37. Therefore, be alert, since you don't know what the ma- when the master of the house is coming whether in the evening or at midnight or at the crowing of the rooster or early in the morning. Otherwise, when he comes, suddenly he might find you sleeping. And what I say to you, I say to everyone, be alert. This is a crucial reminder for us. We do not want to be caught slacking and sleeping when Christ returns. We want to be ready and we want to be alert. And so thankfully now for us, we have the helper, the Holy Spirit, so that in our weakness we may be made strong. We can be alert and ready for the time that Christ will come. And so finally, Jesus says, Enough. The time has come. See, the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up. Let's go. See, my betrayer is near. Jesus shows that he is in control. He knows what time it is, and he knows what is about to take place. And in great submission to the will of the Father, and in great strength... He goes and he readily readily accepts what is about to take place. Which brings us to our final point. Jesus is in control and he is reliable. From 43. While he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, suddenly arrived. With him was a mob with swords and clubs from the chief priests, the scribes and the elders. His betrayer had given them a signal. The one I kiss, he said, he's the one arrest him, and take him away under God. So when he came, immediately he went up to Jesus and said, Rabbi, and kissed him. So now we're really at the point where we're going to see the failures of the disciples. And first up is Judas. Judas addresses Jesus with great respect, calling him Rabbi or teacher, which in the Jewish world was a great honor. And likewise, the greeting of a kiss was also one of respect. Judas returns Jesus over to Jesus turns Jesus, Judas turns Jesus over to a certain death with a warm greeting of love and respect. He turns a sign of goodwill to a sign of death. And then Judas, he kind of just disappears for now. We don't really hear anything more from him in this passage. But the focus switches to the mob that had accompanied him. They were armed with weapons and they were ready for a fight. The fact that Jesus, uh, that Judas thought this was a necessary thing to do, really highlights the fact that Judas did not truly understand Jesus. Jesus was not a uh, violent criminal that needed to be apprehended. Uh, In saying this, though, there was certainly some form of a fight or a struggle, at least, which we see in 46. They took hold of him and arrested him. One of those who stood by drew his sword, struck the high priest's servant, and cut off his ear. So clearly the mob was met with some sort of resistance from Jesus' followers. Perhaps some of them were still hoping for the Messiah that they had imagined, the Messiah that would ride in and overthrow the Romans. They still did not realize of the spiritual nature of what Jesus was doing. But Jesus, he quickly puts rest to this violence and he interjects. In 48, Jesus said to them, Have you come out with swords and clubs as if I were a criminal to capture me? Every day I was among you, teaching in the temple, and you didn't arrest me. But the scriptures must be fulfilled. Jesus questions their violent demeanor and why it's necessary. He points out that he's been with them daily. Uh, but Tyler mentioned last week that the priests and scribes, they feared the crowds. And so, of course, they had to come in night, come at night in secret. Um, But Jesus, he calmly accepts his arrest, stating that it is so the scriptures may be fulfilled. Um, And so in an immediate context, that refers to the scripture in verse 27. All of you will fall away because it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered, which we see from Zechariah 13 verse 7. But his arrest also sets into motion a whole range of scriptures that are about to be fulfilled as Jesus is about to complete his mission as the Messiah who will save the world. And so the Zechariah scripture is fulfilled in verse 50. They all deserted him and ran away. The disciples who had given up everything to follow Jesus, including Peter, who said he would die with Jesus if he had to, all of them ran away. They break up and flee in all directions. The sheep are scattered. And finally, in all the chaos and running away, we come to 51 and 52. Now a certain young man, wearing nothing but a linen cloth, was following him. They caught hold of him but he left the linen cloth behind and ran away naked. This really highlights the complete breakdown of the disciples. They've lost their final resolve to follow Jesus. This seemingly random input at the end of um, the naked man um, is doing two things. Firstly, in a kind of a more metaphorical sense, it's exposing the nakedness or emptiness of their early pledges of loyalty um, that we read about before. Paul and the others, they insisted that they would never deny Jesus. Yet here they are, running away in fear. Um, And secondly, in the more obvious sense, it's just showing their panic and their mad frenzy to escape. Um, Which is in sharp contrast to what the response of Jesus was. While the disciples are in fear and they're fleeing hastily, Jesus is calm and in control as he faces death. As Paul says, Jesus is the one who can clothe our shame with his own righteousness. Although the disciples' failure may feel disheartening, it's important to remember that God is in control and his will is being fulfilled. Jesus has promised that he will return to lead them and that he will go before them to Galilee. Once Jesus has done what only he can do, once he has died alone, he will bring back to himself his disciples. They will receive the Spirit and be renewed by the blood of Christ. They will be like the good soil, and they will produce a hundredfold of good fruit. This is a sad moment in the narrative, but in God's plans, it can be a moment of joy as we look forward to the results of what will be achieved. That sinners may be forgiven through the work of Jesus and may be reunited with their God. Um, And so I think there's really two key points of application that come out of this passage. One, Jesus died alone for you. And two, Jesus can bring you out of your failure. So first, it's probably the most obvious, and it's definitely the most important. And that's the fact that Jesus died alone for you. You were saved because Jesus paid the price for your sins. We are too weak to save ourselves. We are slaves to our sins. But Jesus has paid for them with his life. He has purchased you and given you strength, his strength, so that you are saved and given everlasting life. Praise Jesus, who died alone for you, who went through great suffering that he did not deserve, so that you could be united with the God who loves you forever. And secondly, Jesus can bring you out of your failure. You may feel sometimes like you are falling away, like you're out of touch with God maybe even like you're running away from him or like you have abandoned him or something. But just as the disciples failed, your failure does not mean that God has given up on you. He does not, and you do not, need to depend on your own strength, on your own abilities to do the right thing. Jesus has been resurrected, and now he is ready with the Spirit to lead you, to bring you out of your failures. Your failures are not the end of the story. There is still joy to be found. So accept his help. Do not feel guilty about where you feel like you have failed, but look forward to where you can be reunited with him. You may feel like right now you are rocky soil, but God is ready and willing to make good soil out of you. He is ready to use his strength through you to produce great fruit. So don't delay. Recommit to a life of following Jesus. Even the disciples had moments of failure. But God is full of mercy and compassion. He is slow to anger and he is ready to forgive you. Jesus is ready to walk with you and to guide you. Let us seek Jesus now and seek to serve him and love him in response to the life that he has purchased for us. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your great love, for your mercy on us, that even when we fail, we know that Jesus does not. Please help us to follow you, to be on watch and ready for the time of Christ's return. Please guide and lead us so that we may learn from our mistakes and grow into the likeness of Christ. Thank you that you are in control of all situations and we can trust that you have a plan and that you are working for our good. As we go out, would would we leave with joy that Jesus was willing to pay the price for our sins and that we are reunited with you because of what he has done for us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.